All right, what's up, AFC? I hope everybody's doing well tonight. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt, and I work with the college students here. And um, if this is your first time, and I do see a lot of new faces, this is only our second meeting of the semester, so you haven't missed much. Um, but we do want to capture your info. We do want to know that um, you were here and get some um, contact info from you and maybe have an intern give you a call and uh, take you to some coffee or something. So we are pumped to see the new faces tonight. This is a great group, so um, we're excited to have you. Uh, here at AFC, we believe in a couple things. Uh, first of all, you already figured it out, we believe in Wednesday nights. Big group meetings like these are super encouraging. We have a great worship leader in Tyler, and it's always great to just get with a, um, a body of this size and to worship together. Um, secondly, and probably just as much as Wednesday nights, is we push small groups, and we love small groups. So I'm going to be talking about those more in a minute. Those start up next week. And uh, we also believe in coffee. And by that, I mean we believe in coffee dates and discipleship and one-on-one -on -one meetings. So take advantage of that, too. There's interns, myself, there's leaders within here um, that also um, would like to take you to coffee. Taylor will take you to coffee, and he'll bring me water when I'm not feeling good. So I'll give him a sermon shout-out later. Um, and lastly, um, we, the, the thing that makes a AFC... Um, so significantly different than other campus ministries is that we're tied to a larger church. We're tied to um, the church across the parking lot, UCC, and uh, we have worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30. And, uh, you know, it just really sets us apart in that there's, a, there's an older generation that sincerely loves the campus, and they love this group. And so, uh, and so come and worship with us Sundays at 10.30. Um, like I said, small groups. They start off, uh, we, love, we love them just as much as Wednesday nights, and those are starting up Monday night, um, the guys are going to meet at Taylor's house. Uh, it's over behind, in the neighborhood behind IHOP, and the girls are going to meet in an apartment off of Wyoming, and that's pretty close to campus too. Both of those are at 7 o'clock on Monday night. So like I said last week, um, drop those classes now. Tell your intramural captain now. Small groups are Monday at 7 for everybody, and so it's going to be a great, um, a great time. Uh, the thing we love about small groups is they make a, a room like this and make a big church small. And uh, they, create, they create relationships, and, you know, we ask tough questions, we celebrate the good, we deal with the bad and the ugly, and, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's this group in a more intimate setting. So, we took a long time deciding what small group material we were going to do um, this year, and we finally settled on one, and we're very excited about it, and so we have a little promo video for the small group material that we're going to show right now. All of us, Christian, non-Christian, church, non-church people, all of us have a tendency to play as close as we can to the edge of disaster in many areas of our life. How close to sin, if you're a Christian, how close to sin can I get without sinning is kind of the way we live our lives sometimes. Guardrails are there to keep us from moving into an area where there's actual danger. There needs to be some margin for error. You know what's on the other side of this guardrail financially. You know what's on the other side morally. You know what could happen to your marriage. You know what can happen to your physical body if you don't change some things. No one has ever regretted establishing a guardrail. But there are plenty of us and there are plenty of people who look back and wish so the, uh, the material is called Guardrails, and it's by a pretty well-known pastor named Andy Stanley, and what, uh, what we came to a conclusion of is just talking to people that had done this study before, is that this is going to be a very relevant study for this group, and so I think it's going to be something that you all benefit greatly from, so um, like I said, that's Monday night, so what we're going to do right now is we have a clipboard that's going to be passed around the room, it's a place where uh, it has places for guys and girls to sign it, 
Uh, if you put your name down, we're going to send you a couple text messages, but if you don't come, we'll, we'll drop your name from the list. But we're going to make this very easy to sign up for small groups right now. So go ahead and throw your name on this list if, if you're interested, and uh, we'll give you reminders and directions and addresses, and that'll happen, um, that'll happen next week. Um, the, goal, the goal of Wednesday nights and the goal of small groups, the goal of Sundays and the goal of coffee and discipleship is, is to get to know Jesus better and to teach people about his teachings and his life and just to know the person of Jesus better. And uh, tonight we're going um, to learn kind of how to be a better disciple, and that's something that, that small groups is going to cover, but we're going to talk about in detail tonight. So if you will, um, pray with me and for me tonight one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, a community of believers that comes together with the simple purpose of wanting to know you more. God, we are so um, blessed to be in a country and to be at a school where we can um, talk of these things freely. And God, tonight as we study what it looks like to be one of your son's disciples, I pray that you will, um, you will give me the gift of teaching. God, that you will, um, anything that you do not want these people to hear, that it will fall flat to the floor. God, you'll hide me behind your cross. Anything that you do want us to hear, that it will fall on open and soft hearts. In Jesus' most precious name I pray, amen. With, uh, with Valentine's Day coming up, there's going to be the inevitable Valentine's Day setup where the good friend or um, the, the best friend, whoever it is, they come up to you and they say, I have the perfect person for you. You've heard that and you've probably laughed it off before. Now, the answers are pretty different. Um, girls, they usually take this pessimistic um, approach. They say, they say, no, you don't. Uh, you know, you're lying. Shut up. I'm going to die single. That's kind of, the, that's kind of the, girl, the girl approach, real pessimistic. Now, the guys, the guys are much more sarcastic. Um, the guys are more like, oh, oh, really? You found the perfect girl for me. How did you get Amy Adams' phone number? Let, tell me that. That's the, if, if you got the perfect person for me, how'd you get her phone number? Um, regardless, of the, regardless of the reaction, what tends to happen is even if you blow it off, there's always the kind of like five minutes later, you'll be sitting there, you'll be like, all right, man, like, like who is she? What's her name? You know, and then the questions start coming, you'll be like, okay, like, where does she live? Where does she live? Or, or how tall is she? Or what does she drive? Whatever it is, you know. Um, <laughs> But what I hope is the question that is being asked, especially by this group, is, uh, and I hope this question comes up very early in the conversation, is what does he or she believe in? What does their faith look like? Or the, the typical Facebook uh, answer, what is your religious preference? Um, I often hear answers like, uh, often hear answers like, well, you know what, they believe in God, but they're, they're questioning things. Or, you know, they're spiritual, they just, they just don't go to church. And answers like this have scare, scares me for Christians, and it also scares me for the people that are describing themselves like that. Um, if this is you tonight, if you're kind of on the fence and would describe yourself the way I just did, like, please don't get offended. If anything, come talk to me after. Um, challenge my questions as I, as I challenge yours. And uh, I, at the end of the day, it's just this is something that we as a staff, we believe so passionately about. And so we, if you have questions please come ask. That's, that, that's the goal of tonight. Um, but the religious preference is the idea that has rattled me for the past, uh, for the past couple years. I read this book called Follow Me by David Platt. And uh, what, what Platt's main, uh, his main premise for the book is that he was concerned at the same thing. He was concerned that it's become too easy to identify as a Christian um, just because you, uh, you said a prayer or because you had an, a religious experience at church camp. Um, what he says is that's hardly the call of a disciple. That's hardly the call of a disciple. So tonight what I want to do, it's probably never been done in a sermon you've ever heard, is I want to make the word Christian into a negative term. 
We'll restore it at the end to all of its glory that you usually associate it with, but um, the idea is that being a Christian has become far too easy to identify with, that it's, it's almost scary. Checking a box on Facebook or putting a Bible verse under your selfie or um, whatever it is, it's become far too easy to associate and to claim Christ. Now, I think those things I just said are good things. I think being unashamed on your, uh, on your social media is a great thing. I think, uh, I think regular church attendance is a great thing. But those things alone are scary. To think that that's enough is a scary thought. And so that's kind of what we're diving into tonight. The term I do want to elevate, though, is the term disciple. And that's what a disciple's called, and the sermon title comes from tonight. Um, in, the, in the New Testament... The word Christian is only used three times, but the word disciple is used 269 times. And so if we look at it like that, that is a term that is definitely worthy of a definition. Um, a modern definition by um, an author named Dallas Willard describes it as a disciple as a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner, even if only a beginner. Um, I thought it'd be good tonight to also give a biblical definition of a disciple and also give a biblical comparison of what just a believer or just a Christian would look like. So t I think Taylor and Chance are going to help me out with that tonight. Um, Taylor, you're up first. What's up? So we're in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, if you guys want to turn there. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away and sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left the house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The young man believed, but he didn't follow. This is the word of God. That's my fault. I, I cut out nine verses earlier, but uh, I get, gave you some extra time because you got me water, so that's good. <laughs> While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
The first disciples believed and immediately followed him. This is the word of God. Two separate stories and two completely different responses to the gospel and the, the responses to the, gospel, to the call to follow Christ. Uh, the disciples, when we look at that, when they were called and that quickly that they responded, they asked us the questions, could I just walk away? Could I walk away from my livelihood or from my work? Uh, we kind of read stories like this and we say, you know, that's something that would only be asked of in Bible times. But is it? The rich young man, the rich young man is a story that's just as convicting for me. Um, he did well to follow all the commands up until that point, and he obviously believed to some extent in who Jesus was. Um, but the thing about it is the rich young man, he was asking about eternal life, and, that, and we see that um, the call to be a disciple, it has eternal implications. This isn't just about living a, a good life while we're here, right? It's not just about that. This, this carries with it um, implications having to do with heaven and hell. For myself, it might, not be, it might not be money that I'd have to give up like, and possessions like the rich young man. Um, for me, it might be a call to move. I don't know about you guys. I, I like Las Cruces a lot. If I was called to move, that would be something that would be difficult for me. But we have to be open to the call um, to follow Jesus if that's what the case is. Um, the, uh, the ambition of a calling is not something that God wants to do, but someone that he wants me to be. I'm going to read that again because that's really good preaching. And it came from another preacher. That's why you know it's good. But the main ambition of a calling is not something that God wants me to do, but someone that he wants me to be. And he wants us to be that disciple right now. When I was preparing the sermon, I got, uh, I got kind of nervous that I was going to present something that seemed unattainable. Um, but not being ready is something uh, that the scriptures say isn't the case. Um, you might see somebody in the light of a disciple, and they might look to you like that, uh, that super deluxe um, sports car model of a Christian, right? That's what's what you would see as a disciple. But when we look at Scripture, it's completely different. When the disciples were called, they were literally in fishing boats doing manual labor. I mean, if that's anything, that's an old rusty work truck, and that's what's being called, right? That's not the, that's not the deluxe model. Um, but they were ready immediately. Nowhere in scripture, when you look at one of the early apostles or disciples, you're going to find somewhere where it talks about Peter. And it says, well, first Peter went to a Christian university and got his undergrad. And then he went to a Bible college for two years, spent another two years in seminary, then did short-term mission work in Africa, came back, interned at a church for two years, and then he was ready to follow Jesus. That's, not, that's simply not the case. That is nowhere in scripture. The, the fact of the matter is, is they had seen Jesus, and they followed him immediately, plain and simple. I think one of the tests of um, whether or not you're looking at a disciple is whether or not they have desire to tell other people about the good news. I like to kind of um, describe it like this. Me and, uh, me and Taylor are pretty close, and I feel like we have similar tastes. Um, a good green chili cheeseburger or a well-cooked steak, um, you know, we don't really discriminate when it comes to food. Um, but he's the local, and he finds the spots. And so when he finds a spot, I usually get a text like, dude, we have to check this place out. We have to go get this food, right? And so he invites me to these hole-in-the-wall places. Now, this is kind of what a disciple does if you think about it. Here's this, here's this plate of food. Here's this, here's this thing that I think is so good, and here you are, and I care about you so much. How could I keep something like this from you? Um, if we've tasted and seen that God is good, our next step is to share that and to create disciples because we care what goes into people spiritually as well. That's what disciple-makers do. When we, uh, when we see a Christian in the church and when we see a Christian in the church stumble, we often ask ourselves, like, oh, man, how did, how did we get to this point where that person fell? 
How, how far did they have to fall? What happened? And sometimes it makes the church look broken, or sometimes it makes Christianity as a whole look broken. But I want to look at it like this. Um, say, your buddy, say your buddy or your roommate bought a, bought a new scooter, and the scooter is to get them from, from home to campus, from campus to church, from church to work, whatever it is, and they bought the scooter brand new off the showroom floor, right? And uh, they ride it around for a week or so, and then uh, it starts acting up. It starts spitting out this, this white gas and this white smoke. I mean, you don't really, don't really know what it is. And you have to, the immediate thought in your head is because of how new the bike is, you have to say, man, like, this, is a, this is a lemon. This is a problem with the machine itself. Uh, the maker had a problem, or the person who sold the scooter had a problem. But later we, we find out that uh, sometimes your friend or your roommate, when, he is, uh, when he's late for class and he doesn't have time to run by the gas station, he fills the tank with water. Just a little bit, just to top off the tank, but he just puts some, the, the garden hose in the water tank. You know, at that point, we, we stop looking at the maker. We stop looking at the, the, uh, the person who sold, sold the scooter, and we start saying what they were putting in the tank is what caused this problem. Uh, disciple makers care what's going in the tank a watered-down version of the gospel, or a simple teaching that just satisfies somebody, um, that won't do. That won't fill the tank, and there's going to be a problem. And that's not a problem with the maker. That's a problem with what's going in the tank. Remember the definition that we used for a disciple is, is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner, even if only a beginner. We should desire that our collective tanks be filled to match this definition. The, uh, the, summer before my, uh, the summer between my sophomore and my junior year, it should have been harder for me than it was. I had uh, I'd just gotten out of a relationship that ended kind of abruptly. I had just left a really good job chasing a job that I thought was going to pay me uh, immensely more, and, and it crashed and burned as well. Um, in the summertime, most of my friends had gone back. You know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, somewhat of a lonely time. But personally in my life, I had, I had found peace in the gospel. And what I found myself doing that summer is I, I went to my disciples' office and I kind of said, you know, what's, what's the next step? He said, the next step, the next step is disciple-making. Once you've seen, the next step is to share. So what I did that summer is I studied and I learned. And I tried to prepare for that next semester when the students were coming back. And you know what? I was nervous. I didn't feel adequate to lead a small group. I didn't feel adequate to disciple. Um, to be honest, there's times where I get up here and I, I still don't feel adequate. There's still, there's still moments of weakness in that regard. Um, but the, the thing is, is I had this piece, and I had this story that I had to tell. So if you're here tonight and you feel like maybe you have that, that call for discipleship, that you feel like God's tugging on your heart to take the next step, um, if you want to know the Bible better, then fine. That's something, that's something we can definitely do. As a group, that's something we can definitely study. If you want to become a better teacher, that's something we can definitely train up. Um, but to wait until, you're, until you got things together, that's simply not scriptural. And it's not scriptural, and secondly, I think you'll be missing out on something. Because a disciple is never closer to God than when he's making other disciples. Tonight, I, uh, I'd assume there's three types of people in the room. If you're, uh, if you're a disciple already, you might be tired. You might be worn down from the call. If you're that tonight, you found a safe place. You found encouragement. And I hope you can, I hope if you need to, come pray with us in the back at the end. If you're a Christian who's ready to take that next step, Please come pray in the back with us. Let's let's take that next step in what in, in becoming a disciple. And lastly, and I and I hope this person is in the room tonight. 
Um, there's somebody who would consider themselves not even a believer that still has doubts and stuff. And if you want to, in the last worship song tonight, if you want to come back and just ask questions, like we're here for that too. Because the staff and uh, the leaders here, um, we believe we have a message and we're just so excited to share it. Uh, there's nothing else we'd rather do. So come in the back if that's something you, you need during this last song. Tonight, I, I look out and I do. I see, a, I see a room full of disciples. And across the street, I see about 15,000 who probably need to hear the good news. If there was ever a time to truly go fight and win souls, the time is now. Amen? Uh, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up right now, and they're going to make their way. Um, I'm going to ask Tyler to do a little strumming while we finish up because everything sounds super spiritual when there's a guitar playing in the background. <laughs> Um, but seriously, if y'all do me a favor, um, as, as we close tonight, we're going to be um, reading the Word of God. So if you will, if you'll, if you'll stand. One of the last times Jesus was with his disciples was uh, he was giving them a, a last set of instructions, a last charge. And this charge is called the Great Commission. And so tonight as we leave, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and read this, and I'm going to send you out um, with the same 2,000-year-old challenge that Jesus gave his disciples then. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for a body of believers that wants to grow closer to you, God. And we know that um, when we're making disciples, we're as close to you as we can get. That's a call, Lord, that you gave us in the Great Commission. It's a call that's littered through the New Testament, God. I pray that tonight um, that hearts will be softened, that the next step will be taken. Lord, for those, of you, um, for those in this room that don't believe, God, I pray that they will, uh, I pray that their hearts are softened to the message of your Son. And if discipleship isn't something they even understand still, God, I pray that, uh, I pray that your son will become more evident to them and that they will just simply ask questions and get plugged in. God, we thank you for a body of believers that, that loves you. And I pray that we can continue to love that campus. In your son's most precious name I pray, amen.